25 years ago, I left this high school and this town with the intention never to return again. (laughs) About a dozen years ago, I was in the process of discerning my calling in ministry and mission, and in that process, I began to discern the call to the pastorate, to be the pastor of a local church. And again and again, what was coming back to my head was the town of Vienna that I had grown up in. And eventually, I couldn't get out of my head the idea of planting a new church in my hometown. And of course, one question that was asked was, do we need another church? Well, the statistics were given to me that in the year 1900, there was one church for every 500 people in the U.S., one church for every 500 people. In Vienna today, there's one church for every 2,000. So there's 60,000 people and 30 churches, which means, yes, we could use one more church. In fact, we could probably use 30, 50, 60 more churches just to get back to the church-human ratio that used to exist. But in order to kind of pull this together, I thought through, I believe Jesus Christ was crucified and risen and is Savior and Lord for all people, and that the planting of new churches is the single most effective way to reach people and places for the good news of Jesus Christ. And so over the next couple of years, after kind of getting that clarity, I began to discern what direction this church should have, cultivating a vision and values that we're going to talk about today and over the next few weeks, trying to understand what we are called to as a church and what uniquely we were going to be called to as a church. So when you're in the process of trying to understand what a church is supposed to be, many people go back to Acts chapter 2. They go back to Acts chapter 2 because this is the idealized church. In Acts chapter 2, it's just after Pentecost, and the church is gathered together in this just beautiful, wonderful way. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. If you look through Acts 2, there's three things they devote themselves to. They devote themselves to the faith, the Christian faith. They're gathering as the church, trying to understand what is true, worshiping together, praying together, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. But they're not just devoted to the Christian faith, they're also devoted to one another. You see this, that they continue to meet together. They share everything in common. They celebrate life together, and they're always eating with one another. They're devoted to one another. And the third thing is they're devoted to all the people. They're actually devoted to all the people of Jerusalem who don't even believe what they believe. The miracles and signs cause people to wonder, who is this God and what is he doing? And because of their love for one another and the gospel that they were proclaiming, people were added daily to the church community. They were devoted to the faith, to one another, to all people. You might even say they were gospel-driven, externally focused, extended family, Christian mission for Jerusalem. The problem with looking just at Acts 2 is that people try to search for the perfect church. The New Testament church, the ideal church, if we could just get back to then, then everything would be okay. But that's not how we live in churches. Churches tend to go to extremes. Either they're focused on success, numbers, dollars coming in, programs that can show off a lot, or they kind of push against that and say, no, we just want to be faithful, even if only eight people show up and nobody's lives are changed. But I wonder if there isn't a middle there, something like fruitfulness, where you are faithful to who God is, but also seeing growth and transformation in new lives changed. 
I began to wonder how do we step in between all of these poles, between the, the pole of being a legalistic church that's trying to retreat from culture and create a bunch of rules, and a relativistic church that simply assimilates to the culture and dismisses the distinctives of the gospel. How do you balance between being a structured church that can tend towards authoritativeness and an organic church that's a total mess? We've tended towards that one. Getting better. How do you become a church that's outward-facing and not purely inward when our natural tendency is to care for ourselves? And yet, how do you care for one another? Not just worried about the outsider, but also loving each other. All of this is called a theological vision. It's how you take the gospel, what you believe, and contextualize it for maximum impact. So basically, every human being does this. Every human being does this, whether you believe in Jesus or not. You have a theological vision, I'll just call it that, for life, where you take your core beliefs, you apply them to the context in which you live, your own giftings, the world in which you live, and you try to push it out for purpose and impact. As a church, I saw that I was devoted to the gospel. That is what we believe. That's our core theology. But then we need to understand the culture in which we live. The town of Vienna, the neighborhood that you're from, and whether that's Mantua or Falls Church or Oakton or 22180, and ultimately, how can we be most fruitful? What is God calling us to do with this gospel in this context at this time? So, as an example, let me uh, get a volunteer. Oh, Sean, thank you for volunteering. Come on up. I was worried he wasn't going to show up. He was the one I wanted in my head. So, Sean, come on up. Let's say Sean is average guy here in Vienna. Sean, if you could just stand like right there, perfect. And I'm planting a new church, and I want to get the gospel into this guy. I want him to believe in Jesus Christ crucified and be a part of the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. But here's the problem with Sean. Well, it's not a problem with Sean. He's a great guy, but Sean is devoted to his children. He loves Bobby and Amy and is devoted to them in just completely. He will do anything for them. He cares about their well-being, their health. He's worried about their future, their college savings. He wants them to excel in sports. He hugs them, not lets them drop. Sean. <laughs> if I'm planting a church and there's a bunch of Sean's in my community, then I need to have a church that is safe for his kids, where he feels like they can be there. It needs to be a place where his kids grew up wanting to show up. But I also need to find a way with the gospel to challenge his view that if his kids are happy, his life is perfect. Because his kids' happiness cannot be the source of his identity. He needs something that is deeper and truer than that. He needs the gospel. And I need to find a way to proclaim that to him. So let's get rid of these two. Um, oh. Let's say instead, Sean is very worried um, and concerned and prioritizes academics. And success. So Sean has spent his whole life achieving different career goals. He has gone to multiple schools. He has multiple degrees. He cares about academics and intelligence, and he values his career. His career is the top of his, his drive in life. He's very successful, and that's the direction he's going. If I'm going to have a church, it needs to be intellectually credible to Sean. If I can't nuance philosophy, he is going to see it immediately. 
If my church is overly emotional, his intellectual side is going to shut down and say, this is not a church for me. I also need to have a good theology of work so that when the gospel is preached, he understands why it applies to the work that he values so much. But I also need to challenge his idol of success, finding his identity in his career achievements instead of in Christ. I need to challenge his sense of superiority with those who aren't as intellectually capable as him. He needs the gospel to humble him, needs the gospel to save him. So if I'm going to apply the gospel, I need to know the guy, the guys, the women, the people in the place where I'm planting this church. And that's true of us individually as well. Thank you, Sean, for being every man for us. Here's what I want us to do as a church. It's what I did. It's what we're called to do individually. It's think through the implications of the gospel for the culture of your community in order to develop vision and values that both fit the sensibilities of Christians and non-Christians and that shape your mission strategy and ministry approach for maximum fruitfulness. It's a very complicated way of saying you need to know what you believe the context in which you're called to live, and how God wants you to live. And that includes us as well. And so I spent a few years from the time that we moved back in 2007 until we planted in 2011 trying to understand the context of Vienna where I felt called to plant a church. I did a lot of observing and listening and thinking and talking to people, talking with people, doing it by myself, with others, in groups, I wanted to understand who lives here. Why do they live here? What are their priorities and values? How are they, do they have strengths? How, what are their idols? What are the things they worship in place of God? What are things in this community that can be celebrated and what things need to be challenged? And so I actually have this uh, piece of uh, this paper that I wrote that I came, uh, came across not too long ago that I hadn't even remembered that I had written that was the gods of Vienna, the idols of people who live in this community, and some of the challenges of contextualizing the gospel in this place. Here's what I wrote about the community. Vienna has an artificial sense of being an old town. I wrote this in 2010. It is located in the eighth largest metropolitan area in the U.S., but Vienna attempts to feel small and community-focused. It is also one of the appeals that cause people to move to Vienna. We live in such a transient culture, people are looking for parts of their lives that give a sense of stability and connection. A farmer's market, a walkable street that is new but looks like it's turn of the century, a Halloween parade, a town green with summer concerts, kids playing sports on fields. All of this creates the sense that people can connect, that there is community, even if people don't actually have it themselves. And there's a place for the church to come in and create authentic community and also point to eternity, which is what people are truly longing for when they're trying to find community and place. People in Vienna, I said, wrote down, said, have no need for God. Most people are doing well. They've achieved what they want. Their marriages are pretty good. Their kids ha are accomplished and happy, and many will go to college somewhere. They are financially well off and have no material needs, and thus people in this community do not sense their need for God. In fact, it's hard to find terrible vices in people. Most are law-abiding. Uh, law they don't want to offend. They're fairly courteous. They're family-oriented. 
And I wrote down, it will be hard to convince people in this community of their need for forgiveness or of their need for God at all. From that, and from exercises like that, with a core group of people, we cultivated a vision and values. It is to be a gospel-driven, externally focused, extended family Anglican mission for Vienna. You can pick up one of these half sheets on the table outside if you don't remember all the details of the things that we wrote down that have been core to who we are. We talk about being a gospel-driven church, and that's the difference between just religiousness and what Jesus did and how it impacts us. We want to allow the implications of the gospel to affect how we think about ourselves and the world around us, which means we should be driven by grace that causes us to be more humble and compassionate and generous, things that are not often typified by Christians. But if the gospel is driving us, we will be more humble and compassionate and generous. We want to be a church that's externally focused, meaning while we want to love one another, we exist for those who are not in this church or any church. Because we believe Jesus Christ is the way to life now and forever. And we also are called to be a church that's breaking into the darkness in this world, that there are poor and needy people all around us and there's injustice everywhere. And it is our calling as a church to be focused outside of ourselves because naturally we'll turn inward. We're also called to be an extended family. We've used this term on purpose because a church is not a business. It never functions like a business. It's more like a gathering of your entire extended family for a family reunion. It's messy. You know people well and not as well, but you're confident and comfortable with them because they're your family. And so whether you are single or married with kids, you don't see that as an end. You see that we have relationships with one another, that there are uncles and aunts and cousins, and grandchildren. And that's why I love some of the choices that we make in this church. As we think through the implications of this vision and value for how we do what we do. On a given Sunday morning, you think about how we do our worship service. We have all ages in here. Even when kids go out, they come back in. We want kids in here so that those of us who are empty nesters still feel like there are kids that are ours that we care for. We want them to see that they are a part of this wider adult community. We want teenagers that are engaged in this church community, and we use them on Sunday mornings worshiping or leading music or reading scripture or ushering. We, we engage them as a part of the adult community. We want all ages to see each other as, as a part of the body of Christ. So the choice that we make of how we do church is about our calling to be an extended family. Think about how we do our music. We do hymns, which is very traditional, but then we'll play them on a banjo which is very informal. I wear a collar, and we do Anglican worship, but we're in an auditorium, and we mess up a lot. It's intellectual at times because of the rich tradition and theology in how we do worship, but it's also not snobbish. And it's recognizing that we feel like that's the best way to reach people and to help us to grow in Christ, to be who we are uniquely called to be. And in the sermons, I'm not just trying to teach you Christian truth. I'm trying to apply the gospel to this culture and your life and mine. Because if we can't have it matter, then it doesn't matter. And I believe it does. I believe what Jesus has done matters for all of life. Our aim has been to be a Christ-centered, God-glorifying, and intelligible to the unchurched worship service. So that if you don't come to church regularly, you could come in here and you could sort of get it. 
And yet we're pointing everyone to Christ, our only hope. So this Sunday and over the next eight weeks, we're going to be doing a study called Gospel and Life. Gospel and Life is a book that we use as a pre-membership book. In 2011, six months before this church started, we had 70 people going through a Gospel and Life study. Many of you haven't done it since the church started seven years ago. What we're doing this fall is walking through gospel and life in the sermon series to re-engage our vision and values. And I'm asking you, if you have not been in a gospel and life study over the past three or four years, to attend one again. If you have been one in the past year or two, that's okay. Um, But if you're willing to host, let Corky know. We want to do as many of these groups as we can because I want us as a church body to re-engage, re-envision our vision and values to understand how we are called to live it out. Part of this is renewing the vision of who we are as a church. And it's answering this question, how do we live out our unique gifting, calling, and identity as a church? And ultimately, that goes down to how are you called to do so? So that all of us can understand how we collectively are called to do so. What we're trying to answer as a group is, what would it look like What does God want to do through Christ Church Vienna in the next five or 10 or 20 years? What does God want to do in your life in the next five or 10 or 20 years? Now, this church may not exist in 20 years. We're not here just to survive. This church may not exist in 10 years, but for that matter, you may not either. So it's always this question, How is God calling you today? How is he calling us this day? So here's the big question for today and for the next eight weeks. What would it look like for you to become a gospel-driven, externally focused person who loves your brothers and sisters in Christ like your extended family and who lives missionally for, for the people and places God has put you in? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we celebrate today the baptisms of some children and gather as the people of God, just enjoying one another at this picnic, as we kick off this series, Renewing Our Vision and Values, I pray that you would drive each one of us towards the people you want us to become, that Jesus Christ planted in us would grow up, and that we would become the mature and fruitful tree that you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.